Silver, a show about sports, art, and the space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and I am a visual artist and obsessive basketball fan. For today's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with visual artist Abdi Farah. Abdi received his Master of Fine Arts from Tulane University and is based in New Orleans. His current work is rooted around his interactions with local high school football teams and the culture that surrounds the game. After we previewed and discussed the upcoming NBA playoffs at length, we got to speak about his practice and the evolution of his relationship with football. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to Dear Adam Silver on Apple Podcasts. So I would like to start out with, I would like to get to your work at some point during this conversation, but I just want to start out with you kind of talking about your relationship with basketball in particular and maybe where it started and how and what it looks like now. And then maybe we can talk about the NBA playoffs a little bit. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right. Yeah, I could, I could talk about my relationship to basketball probably all day. So feel free to cut me off whenever. Sounds good. Um, if, we, if we don't get to my work, that's fine. Whatever, <laughs> like, wherever the conversation goes. Um, it's, I'm all really, it's all really important, so... Well, for me, I mean, I don't know if, um, for me, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and I I don't know if it's, I feel like there are a couple other places in the country where it's like this, but Baltimore basketball is just kind of like a second language in a way. Like, I don't know, you just kind of grow up thinking about it, grow up playing it. It was kind of the one not the one thing, but it was kind of the like communal outdoor activity that me and all my friends kind of played. If you mm-hmm. didn't play basketball, it was kind of like you didn't really weren't really a part of the community. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so it wasn't like we would basically every single day after school, we would kind of just travel around the neighborhood looking for a court to play on, looking for some people to play with. Um, if there wasn't a court, we would like kind of makeshift something out of like, I don't know, a crate or like we would, we would play a lot on this like parking sign, like there's no parking sign. And if you hit it the right way, it kind of made a different sound. And if you hit it another way, so like a particular sound yeah. counted as a basket and like another sound. Did. Wow. <laughs> uh, strangely, strangely, when I was growing up, um, I don't know. For some reason, I don't know if they were trying to... It was this weird counterintuitive thing in Baltimore where the city was simultaneously taking down courts and taking down hoops in some strange attempt to curb, like, crime Mm -hmm. and to curb, like, uh, I don't know, like, adolescence gathering in like kind of large groups yeah. and in our brains that just seemed like the dumbest thing to do it's like when we're on the court that's when we're like not getting in trouble sure. um so it was like this constant kind of adventure and scavenger hunt and we would go to like a particular court that we used to that we would usually play on and we would get there and it would either be like locked or the the, the goal 
tables had been taken down. Um, so that was kind of part of the challenge was finding the court that was still open and that still had goals and trying to like outrun the, the city from taking them down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me, basketball was kind of just this everyday thing. And I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I started playing basketball, like as a super young kid, it was kind of when I moved back to Baltimore, me and my mom moved around a lot when I was really young. And then kind of before middle school, we moved back and in order to make friends, in order to kind of be a part of my neighborhood, basketball kind of became this um, kind of language that I needed to learn in order to <laughs> adjust. Yeah. And I mean, was it, what part about playing did you enjoy? I mean, besides the sort of built-in community, were there was there a particular part about the game that you really loved? Yeah, I mean, for me, to this day, basketball is this perfect sport. Like, it's this really kind of beautiful balance of, like, individual expression and kind of improvisation and kind of team team expression and team uh, interplay that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I don't know, it kind of fulfills all of that in a way. Um, and it's a very kind of adjustable game. Like if we only had three players, we could play kind of in uh, Baltimore, we play this game called 50. Um, in other places, you might play a game called like 21 or Hustles or um, kind of goes by different names, but in Baltimore, it's like the game 50. Um, so that's kind of this like every man for themselves, every player for themselves kind of game. Yeah. Um, or if you have six players, you can play three on three. You get a full game. You got 10 people. You can play a nice five on five. Um, so it's like super adjustable, um, pretty cheap. As long as we can kind of scavenge up a basketball, we would probably get to go. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, if we didn't have a basketball, maybe we'd like find like a kickball or something and still try to figure out how to play basketball with it. Um, yeah, so it's like this super adjustable, expansive, and then within the kind of, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's a simple game, but within the kind of simplicity of it, uh, even as a basketball fan now, I'm still kind of figuring out nuances of it and things that I'd kind of didn't know before yeah no it, it seems that there's always um I was just thinking the other day because I've been watching a lot of March Madness basketball how crazy an additional six seconds on the shot clock in college basketball makes from, oh my god yeah it, it feels <laughs> like they have the ball for an unlimited amount of time it feels like they have the freedom to, to do anything and it's just so funny whereas the 24 second is only six seconds less but it just feels so constricting oh and it kills me like if you go to like if you go to like high school games like some high schools some uh in some cities and states don't have a shot clock at all and it's, wow. it's horrible it's the worst thing ever um people get like a like a seven point lead or a ten point lead with like four minutes left and just play, kind of keep away, like play hot potato with the ball. Yeah. It's absolutely atrocious to watch. So yeah. <laughs> I really like the, I like everything about the NBA rules, basically, as it relates to college. Um, I mean, I just think 
the game now is people are learning and playing at an NBA level even when they're in high school and college. So it just doesn't make sense for the three-point line to be as short as it is. It doesn't make sense for them to have a 30-second shot clock. All right. these things just kind of strangely slow the game down. I'm not sure why the rules are different. Uh, yeah, I prefer – I mean, because the, the best part about basketball is how fast it is. And yeah. if you do things that kind of slow it down, for me, that kind of takes away from what I think are the best parts of the game. Like, I, I almost wish it was like a 15-second like a shot clock or uh, like the – the old like Phoenix Suns, like 2000 Steve Nash team, like <laughs> yeah. seven seconds left, where it was like we're gonna get a shot up in seven seconds and keep this thing moving. Right. I I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it is. I think so important that the the speed of the game and the as a fan, it's really exciting to watch things happen really quickly and players having to react. to to things happening really quickly, which when it when it gets when it's slower, it's it's less reactive. It's it's more planned out, and um, I like when there's sort of just they have no time to to decide. They just have to react, which makes it more exciting. Yeah, and that that was kind of if if I could describe. I was I played basketball through high school or like in middle school, high school. Yeah, it was pretty into it pretty serious i mean in my brain i was pretty good at it um definitely wasn't <laughs> good enough to play like d1 college basketball but uh got a couple d3 letters i think that was just because my coach in high school like wrote to some schools and begged them to send me some letters just to kind of boost my confidence a bit um but for me my playing style was never i've never been a really good analytical like surveying the defense and kind of picking apart kind of player I've always yeah. been a very kind of reactive and intuitive uh player where I work I play way better on like a flash break or in transition where I can kind of just quickly make a move if I have to if you slow me down and hit me in like a half court set and try to make me run a play that's that's a really good way to get me to be not a good basketball player <laughs> wait so um, when you were getting these letters I mean was there were you thinking about playing in college uh I mean in my brain yeah just because every kid in Baltimore thinks they're gonna play in the NBA and mm-hmm. play in college um <laughs> I I quickly it's interesting. There was this way that I could have gone to a D3 school and it had been all about basketball, but the school itself would have been kind of terrible to go to. Uh-huh. Um, like there were all these like weird schools in the middle of nowhere and like Pennsylvania and Virginia yeah. that I probably had never heard of, but for some reason I might have had a spot on the team. Um, or I could have just went to school where I went to school and kind of just been a normal college student. Yeah. It was also around the time where I was starting to get a lot more into art, and I knew that in college I wanted to kind of do a little more art, kind of really take my education a little more seriously and not be an athlete. Uh, 
yeah, I, 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 I feel like I understood early on that I wasn't going anywhere with basketball. You weren't so going to be one and make, done. <laughs> yeah, it was better to make the choice early than late. I don't know. Yeah. What position did you play? Yeah, so I was, I was always out of position. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was a undersized shooting guard or probably an undersized small forward. So I'm okay. like a 5'11 small forward. Right. <laughs> so that's like, there's like no future in that at all. Right. Um, so I was always like a, not the best ball handler, but a pretty good ball handler. Not good enough to be like a point guard as a ball handler. A decent shooter, but not a good enough shooter to be like an actual like one or two. But I was also like pretty decent as a rebounder, pretty decent on defense. Strangely had like I I had good post moves for somebody who's short. Nice. I, don't I mean, it, these are things that are meaningless. It's like if you're 5'11", you shouldn't have post moves. Um, so I was always kind of out of place. Um, so you could really see the writing on the wall quickly. It's like there's, there's no place for you in college basketball. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, what I mean it seems to have worked out okay, and you still have strong feelings about basketball, so that's good. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Do you still play at all, or I mean, is your? I played pretty. I played pretty often, actually. Uh, it's one of my favorite forms of exercise. Like I run a lot. I ran cross country in high school. Played basketball in high school. Still kind of do both. Nice. Um, Usually it's just me going to random courts in New Orleans and playing with the kids on the court there. Yeah. Uh, they're always like a little surprised that I'm like as old as I am. <laughs> I still pretty much look like I did when I was 18. Yeah, so. no, I, I can I yeah. hear you on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, starting, I don't know. I feel like I need to find a different sport uh, for the longest I hadn't really lost a step, and now I'm starting to be the old man on the court who can't really play defense <laughs> and who cheats a little bit too much, like pulls on jerseys and like holds people <laughs> and flops a little too much and like yells about calls a little too much just because I'm kind of out of shape and a couple steps too slow. So maybe I need to pick up tennis or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, or you could fit in now in the NBA in your age bracket really well. Um, just because I feel like that's what the older players do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so you could it's kill like, You know exactly why. It's because they're, they're tired. Right. Like, I need to stop that break. Let me foul somebody. Seriously. So let's get into this a little bit. So let's talk about the playoffs and some of your thoughts on yeah. who you think, um, who's gonna maybe where there might be an upset or if, um, who you think might end up in the conference finals slash NBA finals and maybe who's going to win it all. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's funny. I, I think this has been a really exciting NBA season. Mm-hmm. Um, the MVP race is great. Um, even some of the other award races, like the Defensive Player of the Year race, the 
kind of six man and most improved player. All yeah. these things are pretty exciting. But I, until they get beaten, I just think the Golden State Warriors are going to run over everybody. <laughs> It's, yeah. It's, yeah, until until you beat the giant, until you kind of mm. kill Godzilla, I got I got my money on them. Um, the but that said, there's some teams that are super hot right now. I wouldn't want to see Houston right now. I mean, obviously James Harden is on fire. Yeah, their whole team is just constructed really well. Um, they're playing kind of their best basketball at the right time, whereas kind of a couple months ago, I would have said uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder were kind of the best constructed team mm-hmm. to maybe give the Golden State Warriors a run, but they're kind of running on empty right now. Paul George is kind of hurt. Um, they don't look quite as intimidating as they did a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, I love the Eastern Conference race right now. Mm-hmm. Like I love Milwaukee. I love Giannis. I like I Toronto. Milwaukee. Milwaukee makes me so. Um, I know. Just I so love- exciting, and I just I um. I can just totally get behind them as an as just really like a non like I don't live there. I've never been invested in the team before. They're just really fun to watch. Yeah, they're they're one of my favorite teams in the league right now. Yeah. But it's just it's bad luck. Like they lost Malcolm Brogdon, they right. lost uh, Nikola Miritich. Like they're trending down right now. Like the Greek freak has like a busted ankle. Yeah. So they could be one of these teams that has kind of the best record going into the playoffs. And I would not be surprised if they got bounced kind of early in the playoffs. It sucks because I would love to see them definitely in the conference finals. Totally. Maybe even I would love to see them in the kind of finals with Golden State or whoever. Um, yeah, in the East, it's I feel like uh, I really love that kind of top of the conference. Mm-hmm. Like I like Toronto. I like Philly. I grew up a Sixers fan, so I've been kind of somewhat rooting for Philly, even though I was only a Sixers fan growing up because of Allen Iverson, who was my favorite player. But yeah. I still kind of kept them as like a little part of my heart. Sure. And I love Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is one of my favorite players in the league. But none of those teams – scare me at all mm-hmm. like I just think whoever comes out of the west is gonna beat the brakes off of whoever comes out of the east um yeah it's kind of like an also land like they're gonna get there and get kind of trampled over yeah <laughs> I, I don't do. know I wonder about that as well like who can sort of either withstand I mean of course I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on the Warriors the Warriors are going all the way but if <laughs> who can withstand the Warriors I mean, why not? Houston I just I mean I I think well I have some mixed, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Houston because I hate them, but I also appreciate what is happening there and I have to, to fear them in some way. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that I, I agree that I think that they could mentally, I think Chris Paul can really take care of a lot that maybe the Sixers don't have quite yet is my feeling is that there's just a stronger Maybe they're stronger. The Rockets are stronger mentally than those top tier teams in the East. Yeah, yeah, because none exactly because none of those 
I just don't trust any of those teams in the East because they've never been there. Like, I've never seen Toronto do good in the playoffs. I've never seen Milwaukee do good in the playoffs. The Sixers underachieved last year in the playoffs. Until they kind of showed me a little something else, I, I just got my money on the Warriors. I don't really even... I mean, I guess it's. I, I guess what the Rockets did against the Warriors last year, I guess I could kind of give them a little bit of credit with mm-hmm. that, pushing them to seven games. But then they kind of fell apart in game seven, and I don't know what that really means. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Like the other night, I was watching the Bucks play the Rockets, and uh, the Rockets were up big, and then the Bucks were up big at the end, and they they really like yeah. beat them. And I and they uh, the camera uh, went to James Harden and, and Chris Paul sitting on the bench, and I was kind of expecting that they might be sort of disappointed but they were just whispering to each other and I was like you guys are yeah. plotting <laughs> like you're so they're so thinking about the playoffs already and I, I feel oh, like yeah, yeah, about yeah. what they can do that they're just not phased and I was hoping to see them more shook up by by losing but they weren't at all and I was just like this is making me nervous <laughs> that um you guys are just uh sort of not not caring that you're losing right now yeah, this last week of the season is kind of atrocious to watch. Right. Like, I, I was looking at the box score from the Lakers-Pelicans today, and 80% of the players I've never heard of. It's like all guys <laughs> on the base contracts. LeBron's not playing. Anthony right. Davis isn't playing. People are definitely focused on the playoffs right now, which I, I understand, and it's a little frustrating, like, Kyrie Irving, like the consummate, like honest person, um, yeah. is was saying that he was definitely going to take some games off this last couple weeks. And part of me is like, why, why, why say that? Like people are paying money to kind of to see you. Why say that? But at the other end, like we kind of judge these players only on how they do in the playoffs. Like we yeah. get mad at James Harden every year for kind of leading the league in scoring, leading the league in minutes and assists and all these things, and then running out of gas in the playoffs. Right. Uh, we kind of made fun of the Warriors that one year where they went for the 73 wins, and then they just seemed kind of beat up and out of out of gas during the playoffs yeah. and lost the Cavs. So it's this weird catch-22, this weird kind of having our cake and eating it too of fans where we – kind of want these people to be professionals every single game, but then we kind of use these singular markers of success to judge them by at the end. Yeah. Uh, And I think players are pretty cognizant of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we want from them to make everyone happy is is kind of impossible um, to some extent if we want to have superstars that, that can carry the team. weird because I feel like I'm not sure when this happened but I, I feel like I didn't watch a lot of I watched a good amount of Jordan when yeah. I was a kid and it just seemed like every single game Michael Jordan was like coming for the opponent's throat yeah and I know part of he like valorized him and loved Michael Jordan and maybe a bit of it's like kind of patinaed with like a bit of history and a bit of nostalgia. Uh, but it just seemed 
like that was the ethos back then. Was, every game was important. There was no kind of distinction between playoffs and regular season. It's like if I'm lacing on my shoes, I'm going out and I'm going to win. Yeah. And there's this interesting compartmentalization that players are able to do now where they're like you're you're noticing that like Chris Paul and James Harden don't look upset on the bench as they're kind of getting like blown out by Milwaukee on a random Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like players in the like 90s and 2000s I don't know, just gave a little bit more of a shit about it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know either because I I also think that that is something that's said that, oh, well, you know, Jordan didn't take nights off and all this stuff. Um, And then there's the famous flu game, but I think anyone would play through the flu if it was, you know, game (laughs) six of the finals or whatever. Like, no one's taking that game off. But it's just, yeah, I don't know how how that worked differently or what maybe... I mean, I was just, yeah, it's it's hard to know exactly what's changed, but it's not it's not the cutest thing in the world to take games off, but at the same time, it is it goes in that whole package of players maybe having a little bit more control over how they spend they ta- spend their time and and what they um, are choosing to do and and sort of their own intuitiveness about their own body, and I feel like that's a good thing. It's just not as um, it's hard to get behind as a as a fan. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can rationally understand it. And if I was in their shoes, I would probably do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking in the long term and they're thinking as humans, they're kind of thinking about their, I don't know, I feel like you could connect it to just other ideas of kind of self-care and just like time management and having like a work-life balance that I think are kind of those ideas and buzzwords now. And I just don't think those existed back in the like nineties. I sound like an old dude. I'm not that old. No, no I, I, I agree. There is a culture that is permeating many different aspects. I mean, as far as self-care and, and, and yeah. time management and things like that. But the thing, the thing that I, like I love the idea of the athlete as I don't know, like a warrior or something. I don't know, like mm-hmm. somebody who sees the full scope and sees that the the task in front of them might hurt them, but braves ahead anyway. You know, it's, I don't like I will never mm-hmm. be upset with the Warriors for going for that seventy three wins. 73 wins to me, like every year somebody wins a championship, like it's going to happen by default. Yeah. Not every year somebody's going to win 73 games. Like that's freaking impressive. No, Phil, and, Phil Jackson did say that that was one of his favorite records. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we took that <laughs> shit. So that was really exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah, my – so. Alan Iverson will forever be my hero. He's my only hero, my favorite basketball player of all time. Like, the only celebrity that I would probably be kind of interested to cross a room and, like, say what's up to if I'm, like, at the event. Everyone else, like, can kind of go to hell. I just don't really care. Um, And he's he's kind of an anomaly. I don't know. He's 
He's this player that history and analytics has not like shined favorably upon, but he was both kind of a rock star, a rebel, a warrior, like his own person, but also kind of like the people's champion. And I just remember like during his kind of MVP run that he was like leading the league in scoring. He was leading the league in minutes. And every game they would kind of show this laundry list of his injuries. And it'd be like, oh, he's playing with a broken finger and yeah. like a hyperextended elbow and kind of a hyperextended knee yeah. and like a hip flexor and like a hairline fracture. And there was something in him that kind of took pride in being out there and giving his all every single game giving the fans a show, leading his team, playing every minute, taking probably a couple more shots than he should have. Yeah. And there was something just really heroic and inspiring about that. And while I can definitely understand the, I don't know, the the rational, like, like long view of the, I don't know, Kyrie Irvings and the James Hardens and the LeBron James. Like, I don't think you can have it both ways. Like, you can't be heroic and rational at the same time. Right. Yes, yes. That's such, oh my God, that is such an important statement <laughs> um, and <laughs> distinction. I think that it is, um, You. yeah, you can't be. Um, inside of basketball and outside many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. In, in most things, I don't know. It has to be, I mean, and in hindsight, it's like maybe maybe those guys of the 2000s didn't play it right. Like maybe they, with all the like new science and how to take care of your body and like the, the like ill effects of back-to-backs and playing too many minutes and all these things, it's like, like Alan Iverson was basically out of the league when he was like 33 or something right. like that. Whereas most of these guys are probably going to be able to play until they're 40. But I don't know. He's he's, he's always going to like he's going to be a legend forever, no matter what the hell else happens in NBA history. Well, and I think that the, I mean, in a very surface, I would say surface level way. I mean, I want I want the hero. I want the heroic moment. I want the the last minute um, shot, I, you know, it's like those are the things that are exciting about yeah, about basketball. So when you take that out and, and maybe you're seeing this other, this, um, that the players are, are people and they have these other sort of issues or, or whatever it is, it's, it maybe takes a little bit of the magic out of it, potentially. <laughs> Um, I, but I don't want to, I mean, it's hard because it's, they are people and I want them to take care of themselves, but I also like, if there's not something that's on the line, it's not as wildly exciting. Yeah. If it's, I mean, I just think there's gotta be, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't begrudge anybody their personal decisions. So I mean, obviously, like Kevin Durant's a very important player, and overall, I'm I'm a Kevin Durant fan. Like, I I I mean, obviously, he's a fantastic basketball player, 
And I also kind of appreciate a bit of his candor in interviews and whatnot. Um, but there was definitely like his choice to go to Golden State. It was definitely the best choice as a basketball player. It's like uh, I get to play with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green for Steve Kerr in the Bay Area. Yeah, sign me up. But there's something, there's something anti. I don't know. It's it's the smart choice. It's the rational choice. And I don't know, like athletes are the dreamers in a way, you know, they're the people who, I mean, I think the artist is as well, like they're the people who saw the odds when they were a kid, they saw the chance of making it to be a professional athlete was super slim and they still kind of went to the gym every day and like put the words of the haters behind them and the people who said they weren't going to make it and they kind of held to a dream and then to kind of lose the imagination when you're at your highest height is something that I'm kind of grappling with and thinking through. Like, I don't know if it's, I don't know what I would do in that scenario and I'm sure I make similar decisions in my studio every day, whereas I probably was making those kind of bold, risk-taking decisions when I was a kid, and now, like, bills and happiness and all these things kind of flood into the studio while I'm working. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's so... That was a little bit... um... I love Kevin Durant. I I mean, I love him from what I know of him, I believe. Um, he is a, I think he's a, he's an amazing player, of course. And then also I think he's a good community member um, and all of that. Uh, but yeah. Oh, I mean, he's, that, a, he's a near, he's a near yeah, perfect basketball Totally. And I, I admire him for many reasons. He's actually, it's so funny, my, my hometown, Redwood City, California, I think he's paying for the first two years of college for like five uh, kids from the Boys and Girls Club there, which was just yeah. fun to see my, my hometown, um, him taking care of some kids from there anyways, um, which is also ironic because it's uh, it's like the wealthiest county in the, not the wealthiest, sorry, has the highest cost of living in the whole country, the, the county oh that goodness. I'm from, which is just, so it's like there's all these, you know, maybe he should be, who knows what's happening, but it's the Boys and Girls Club, Everyone needs help. Like, it's okay. Um, But I, yeah, I mean, that totally, all these great things about him that I think, it's still just that wasn't the, that wasn't the most, um, yeah, that wasn't the hero's decision necessarily. Um, Golden State, as much as 2016 devastated me, and um, I, I still think that they didn't, I, okay, I'm actually like holding on to the side of the closet when I'm saying this because I'm I'm scared, but they didn't need him necessarily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm afraid to say I that mean, out they... loud because I don't want to jinx anything. Um... Oh, I mean, no, you're. <laughs> I mean, you're not. I mean, you're a thousand percent right. I mean, they yeah. won seventy-three games right. without. <laughs> I know. So so it just it it wasn't that 
decision was was exciting for Golden State fans and it shook up the league and it maybe changed things long term for what other people feel comfortable doing, but he wasn't putting anyone on his back and and taking them to the NBA Finals. Um, he was he was doing what what he wanted to do without it without it being a risk. He wasn't taking a risk necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think he took a real risk posting that Players Tribune um, essay and also not communicating that what he was doing to Russell Westbrook and things like that. Oh, like I think yeah, he was risking like his reputation, but he wasn't risking his. I, I, yeah, it's 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 very layered. I think. Yeah, it is, and in, it's like maybe, maybe in another way to kind of refute my own point. Maybe, maybe making the decision that you know is going to be completely denounced by like fans of basketball, right. but it's the one that you really want to make is the courageous decision it's like i don't know like marrying somebody or dating somebody that your family doesn't approve of it's like i'm gonna do this anyway i don't know uh there's something maybe i don't know but i'm just a petty competitive totally totally kind of spiteful person and there's no way in hell like the way they got beat by the warriors there's just no way in hell i would ever it, it would just as much as I would have loved to, it was just like, this is off limits. This is off. <laughs> no, I know. And I think yeah. that it was hard. I mean, I I didn't want to fault him for choosing that, but I was also, because of of um, just, I, I just was a little embarrassed. I was like, I, I didn't ask. We didn't ask for this. I don't, I don't know what's going <laughs> on. I mean, I wanted him there, but at the same time, I, I felt that, um, the him being villainized and then the Warriors being villainized and then the Warriors fan base being villainized. I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I mean, it just, um, yeah, sure, great, like come on down, but also, uh, how can, you know, um, ultimately, yeah, I, I don't know if courageous is the right word because he was certainly risking just getting shit on by everyone for yeah. like two it's, it's years. <laughs> So, I mean, in that sense, like, facing that and just going for it anyways. Um, but as far as, like, the sexy idea of having courage, I don't think it was that has anything to do with – I think there's, there's you know, the, the, the attractive, um, amazing thing would have been maybe to t- just stay in Oklahoma City. <laughs> um, but I don't want to – um, but, but also there's so many things maybe I don't know and I'm just um, – yeah, so so I'm I'm very hesitant because we desperately. I mean, I want him playing for my team and playing well for them right now. So it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because I don't know. It turned Golden State from kind of this like plucky upstart team that then became the kind of kings of the court to this like juggernaut that people wanted to see kind of fall. I don't know. Like they were kind of the team that everyone could kind of get behind, like all this homegrown talent, like they drafted like Curry and Thompson and Green and all these players and um, had this kind of really cohesive, nice group that almost seemed organically formed. So they they were this team that was 
the best team in the league, but you didn't feel bad rooting for them. And now they're they're kind of the they're not quite the villains because they're still pretty. I mean, Steph Curry just keeps them from being the villains, even though he does have a bit of I don't know. He, <laughs> he's I can see why like players in the league might be annoyed by him a little bit, but to the outside world, he's kind of like America's like like little brother or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, so it changed the Warriors. I mean, undoubtedly, not undoubtedly, I'm I'm talking like I know some stuff, like I'm a reporter. I, I think Kevin Durant leaves <laughs> after the season, and I think the Warriors go back to being this less problematic team to root for, in a way. I don't know. <laughs> Even though it's kind of shitty, they're leaving, like, Oakland and they're going to San Francisco and I know it is know. shitty. Yeah. yeah. No, there's there <laughs> sorry, is some... sorry to like get on your team. No, no. I I mean I agree. I think it's the the Oakland to San Francisco move is strange because I feel like everyone that can I just everyone that can go to the game is going to the game whether it's in Oakland or San Francisco. I I mean I I just yeah. um, I mean of course they're they're I mean, I'm sure financially it's it's working out for them in some way, but it just um, it's just a nice it's it it is nice that they play in Oakland, and it's frustrating that um, they they feel the need to move. And yeah, I mean, I I agree that I mean I have some mouthpiece related issues with Steph Curry just because I think that <laughs> it's disgusting that he's um he uses his mouthpiece to when he's in a rage um and has thrown into the crowds and all that like there's some things that I find kind of bothersome but um sound like my grandmother oh my goodness (laughs) great good thanks for letting me know no I mean so I I I understand that emotions are riding high and all these things totally get it it's just there's some ways that that comes out that are less attractive than others and um I will take LeBron punching the whiteboard in the locker room over throwing your mouthpiece um (laughs) into the crowd uh personally um yeah that was not that I want him to be not his best moment I'm sure he I'm sure he would take that back totally um, but other than that, I do think he has this really like boyish, likable quality, and I really I appreciate him as well as as a sort of a part of the the Warriors community. Um, and I and I guess my fear sometimes about the playoffs is that I feel like if they get matched up with the Thunder, that they can um, that the Thunder can get in their head. Um, and so I am nervous about Houston, but I'm also nervous about a possible matchup with the Thunder because I think the Warriors are better, but I think there's this whole mental game and mental level that the other teams don't bring that the Thunder have over the Warriors as far as um, you left and you, you know, you're soft and you went and you did this. And I think, I mean, I think sometimes that might get to KD a little bit. And so I worry about that matchup. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think the Thunder, in my heart of hearts, I mean, I know you're a Warriors fan, so I'm sure you don't want to hear this, but I would love (laughs) to see 
the thunder kind How of can take I hang up this earth. call right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just as like if you just leave your body for a second and just think of it in terms of drama and like I don't know, it seems pretty I don't know, Shakespearean or something like that. Totally. <laughs> it's like Durant needs them, Russell stays. I'm I I just think they're unfortunately you can you can have as much desire for something dramatic to happen, but Kevin Durant and Steph Curry can just freaking play basketball and that just kinda wins out at the end of the day. Um but I'm pretty sure like there are very few people who match up well with Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook does. Not that they play each other one on one all the time. Like Steph definitely doesn't guard Russell that much just because he's a freaking Tasmanian devil and right. he's probably the most athletic person in the league. But like Westbrook will play Curry some, and he's just like physical and he's relentless. And, I mean, he's less technically talented, but what he lacks in, like, shooting, he just makes up for in just unquenchable rage. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of look uh, But there's – and then if Paul George is healthy, Paul George is one of the best players in the league. I would love to see, like, a Paul George who, at his best, is a defensive player of the year candidate. Paul George, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant leaves OKC. Paul George decides to stay in OKC. I know, they're like I the... love that narrative. Like, the NBA is licking their chops wanting <laughs> that matchup to happen. <gasps> it's all prime time and for it to go seven games. Oh, that would be so great if there were... Like, I need to look at the standings. But that would be great if, if there was a kind of Golden State OKC second round, and then more than likely Golden State wins in a Golden State Houston Western Conference final. That would be bananas. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like two seven game series with like uh, Golden State and whoever for the semis and then the conference final. That would be fantastic. I'm just not sure if I can make it through those rounds being back to back. I mean, that just is, oh yeah, yeah, your heart might feel you. <laughs> no, I mean, I just I agree that the narrative there is is absolute gold, and the fan base in Oklahoma City is so um, has so much you know power there, and it's just like this force that you have to um, deal with. Uh, and I just, I think that it could be really, it could be really hard to, that could be a really competitive series that could scare, um, Golden State fans, including myself about, um, yeah. So I just, I think that we'll see what happens. I don't want to get anxious about something that may not, uh, occur, oh, but it, <laughs> first of all, first of all, like you shouldn't be anxious at all because. You've won three championships in the right. last. Uh, three. <laughs> but one more. Why not one more? Just to like, like, just to really prove it. Just one more, you know. Just, to, just to nail See, it down. It's, it's starting to sound like a like a like I I loathe Patriots fans. Yeah, I'm the Bill Simmons every, of the Warriors, every year. Maybe. Every year, they, 
Yeah, every year they're like, oh, we, we don't have a good defense, and, like, Tom Brady's getting old, and, like, what's Belichick doing? And, and then they freaking win the damn Super Bowl again. It's just like, right. Ah. All right, I'll so, tone it down. Yeah, no, I – I'm not um, – I mean, I'm going to watch the playoffs and the finals no matter what. Um, I – but, um, yeah, I mean, why not just just add to the dynasty? Uh, we'll see. We'll oh, see. yeah, I mean, it does. So, okay, they won – they won the last two at Durant. They lost 16. Then they won the one before. Mm-hmm. So they won three in four years. Man, if you win four in five years, that is – pretty damn impressive yeah. um yeah that's uh that's like starting to get up there with like the bulls level of uh well the bulls is like six and eight years that's insane yeah. and they probably want more if michael jordan went to stop and play baseball or something but <laughs> right uh, but he had to go where he had to do his thing um yeah, yeah. so um i guess my last professional basketball related question for you is where is Anthony Davis as a Pelicans fan? What where's Anthony Davis going? Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I've never heard the phrase as a Pelicans fan spoken back to me, but I guess I am. Uh, <laughs> well, I feel like twice you've mentioned <laughs> that you've gone to games, and I've only known you for like yeah, I, six I, weeks. So <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Pelicans fan. I mean, I wanted them to be called. I wanted them to be called the New Orleans Bounce. Mm. Like when when I was here. They were the Hornets, and then they gave the name back to the Hornets. I mean, best case scenario, Utah would have just given them back to Jazz. It's like, what the hell? Like, right. Utah Jazz? Like, please, it should be the New Orleans Jazz. A little out of place. But if you can't be the Jazz, it should be like some other New Orleans form of music. So they should have been called the New Orleans Bounce. Mm. And then that has like the entendre with basketball. Never mind. Yeah, but no, I no, no. A- I'm behind that. <laughs> That's great. Um, so yeah, I love I like the Pelicans a lot, and every time I go, they're just like a really they're like a team that you feel good rooting for in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like I'm also a Baltimore Ravens fan for football, and the Ravens are kind of similar. It's like even if they don't have as much talent, they would kind of bring it every night. Yeah. And even with Anthony Davis not playing, it's like every game the Pelicans kind of, like, lace their shoes up and get out there and kind of go after it. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking that, obviously, obviously the whole fiasco with uh, Clutch Sports and Rich Paul, uh, Anthony Davis' agent, forcing the trade from New Orleans, obviously they want to get him to the Lakers mm-hmm. to play with LeBron. And I just think that's ine- inevitable. Like, he's going to be on the Lakers at some point. That's where he wants to go. Yeah. He's going to try to play coy like he wants to. He, he says, like, during all-sober, oh, I'll play for any of the 29 teams, I guess, other than New Orleans. But, like, who are you kidding? You definitely want to play with the Lakers. You want to be in the purple and gold. You want to be in that lineage. He's not trying to get of... traded to the Bulls. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, even though... Well, no, the Bulls are just a hot mess. Right. I don't think he wants to go there. No. <laughs> the, the Bulls are kind of a dumpster fire. But, yeah, so he wants to get to L.A. 
But the Pelicans could be petty like me. Like if I was one of the Pelicans, I would say no to every trade with the Lakers and make it so that Anthony Davis has to play his next year somewhere else. Just because I'm a petty, heartless person. I don't know. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. yeah. It's like whatever they're offering me, like they can offer me their whole damn squad and like a bunch of money and a bunch of picks. It's like, I'm not sending you to the Lakers because you want to go to the Lakers. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, that's kind of mean because Anthony Davis has been, other than like the last couple months, he's been like the model, like New Orleanian and the model totally. player. And, it's like a really good, seems like an overall really good dude. Um, but it's like sports. Sports is sports is all about just competition. Mm-hmm. It's just like I'm going to do whatever you don't want me to do. And I'm going to do that on the court. I'm going to do that when I'm playing defense. I'm going to do that when I'm playing offense. I'm going to do that as a GM, a coach, whatever. So you know he wants to go to the Lakers. Eventually he's going to get there, though. Yeah, and I mean, the Spurs didn't send Kawhi, I think, where Kawhi wanted originally, but Kawhi's yep. doing pretty well. So you never know what could happen at that if if New Orleans takes that route of, of kind of just um, sticking it to him. He could still end up in a – I mean, I hope Kawhi stays in Toronto because that makes the Eastern Conference much more interesting to have Toronto yeah. stay competitive. Um, so – yeah, I mean, it's just, it's hard to say. I guess it is, it seems like that's where he's going is L.A., but I would love to to have some wild card thrown in there where he plays with some, I don't know, amazing point guard or something like that. I mean, I guess maybe like Lonzo Ball can can bring it, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, the strange, the, the strange part is, not the strange part, but the Pelicans are good. I don't know why. I mean, I, I definitely understand as somebody who's lived in New Orleans for about six years now, like it's definitely more of a small town than a big city. Uh-huh. Like it's a famous city. It's got a lot of history and a lot of culture, but the city gets really small really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I can understand like a 25 year old wanting some kind of different scenario, different scene. But, like, Drew Holiday is one of the best point guards in the league. He's woefully underrated. He's he's super smooth on offense, like an all-around offensive player. He's also probably the best defensive guard in the league. And, like, people don't think about him too much, but he, like, those who know, know. So you have Drew Holiday. They picked up Julius Randle. I think Julius Randle's a great player. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been great. Yeah, they have. I think Alvin Gentry's a good coach. Mm-hmm. They swept the freaking Blazers last year in the in the first round. Yeah, they ran into the Warriors and they were outmatched by the Warriors. But everyone was outmatched by the Warriors. They played the Warriors as good as everyone else. <laughs> like it's just, and they won a game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Besides yeah, Houston, I mean, yeah. They had the best player on the court. Like, I think Anthony Davis is, if he's playing at his full self, fully attentive, I mean, I just think he's, I I could be a homer and I could be a real Pelicans fan and say he's the best player in the league, but I think he might be the best player in the league. 
You're like, totally he, outing yourself as a real Pelicans fan. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, I mean, but I could, I could give you the rational argument. No, so. he, he's, he's. I mean, he is. I would say one of the top three players in the league, and maybe the best player in the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's out, out of control. I mean, this year, Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to win MVP probably, if not James Harden. And Anthony Davis is a more complete Giannis. Like, it sounds crazy to say, but it's like Giannis plus a jump shot. It's Giannis plus, uh-huh. like, three-way range. It's Giannis yeah. plus probably even more blocks, probably even a better on-ball and better, like, team defender than Giannis, even mm-hmm. though Giannis may mess around and win defensive player of the year, too. And it's just that Giannis this season has kind of – taken every game like it was his last and kind of left it all on the court and for better or worse Anthony Davis is kind of planning for the future like this kind of could have been Anthony Davis's MVP year maybe that's just me being a too much of a Pelicans fan but talent wise talent wise there's there's hard to think of a better basketball player (laughs) totally so it is kind of disappointing that it's it's disappointing that he didn't, like, like if you're going to leave, that's one thing. But just the, the competitor in me is like, there's no way in hell I'm letting Giannis win an MVP over me. And there's no way, like, if I'm Anthony Davis and I see Giannis about to win an MVP, I would be pissed. Right. So it's like every night I would have been like, I'm better than this dude. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I... I hadn't thought about that too much, that this is kind of a quieter season for Anthony Davis and Giannis is is exploding. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you – so actually this will be my last NBA-related question. Um, I feel that Giannis should get the MVP, and I don't, I don't want – James Harden to get it I want so I'm, I'm coming at it from the positive I'm not saying yeah. I'm trying to say I want Giannis to get it it's not that I, I and partly I don't want James Harden to get it but I I just do want Giannis to get it <laughs> if that makes sense yeah I, I oh keep going sorry. no 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 I just I I guess I have so much respect for James Harden's skills and what he's able to do is sure. amazing. I don't know if I get as excited when I watch him. I mean, of course, I don't get as excited because he scares me. But Giannis just is so, um, I don't know. It just I find him really exciting to watch. And yeah. he comes at everything so hard. And I, I think it's, and I mean, this is coming from a Golden State fan who I've like, um, you know, I, we desperately need the three-pointer. Like, the three-pointer is what everything was built off of um, for us. But I just, like, I like seeing, like, a crazy, talented big man kind of have so much uh, dexterity and sort of gracefulness. And there's this beauty in watching him play that is so exciting to me. I, I agree. Like, I love Giannis. He's just... He's kind of like a, uh, yeah, he's, he's like otherworldly. Yes. Like if I, 
the way he moves on the court and like the three steps from anywhere on the court and he's at the basket. Um, yeah, he's like a, I don't know, like a perfectly designed basketball player in the same way kind of James Harden is. If you were to kind of like design a guard in a lab, like somebody with his like stature and size and speed and shooting ability, there's something about James Harden that I respect, yes. but it drives me crazy. Like I hate, he's like somebody that's figured out basketball and there's something very admirable about it like the the level of practice and craft that goes into kind of every bit of footwork Mm -hmm. but there's also something a little I don't know it's like oh we solved it we figured out basketball it's done I don't know (laughs) yes it just it feels it feels it feels a little um dead to me yeah i i personally i think about players as somebody who like played a lot growing up and i was very rarely like if i was the best player on the team that means we pretty much sucked so i I like playing with people who are better than me but i also like playing with players who it seemed like it would be fun to play with Mm-hmm. And it seems like an absolute joy to play with somebody like Giannis or even somebody like Anthony Davis, somebody who is a star, but who isn't like a black hole for the basketball. Mm-hmm. Whereas I played with plenty of guys growing up in Baltimore who were so incredibly talented, but it was basically like their show, you know, like it's the James Harden show. Yeah. I'm going to, you would have to like kind of, get out of their way and spot up in the corner or get ready to rebound or God forbid they ever get kind of caught up in like a double team and try to pass it out. Even though James Harden is a willing passer, but it's it's kind of passing on his terms. Yeah. I just feel like it would be boring as hell to play with James Harden. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, right. maybe that's just made him a little selfish because they're probably they're winning. So it's a winning formula, but like the idea of somebody just standing at the top of the key, traveling a couple times and throwing up a three-pointer is just not my favorite brand of basketball. Right. Yeah, I think that there is, there's a little bit of just um, stagnancy um, in, oh, in the game. Sure. Where I feel like what's so exciting about the Bucks this year is that Giannis is the best player on the team, but there other people are being lifted up alongside him. Other, other, um, they, like, um, they're just, there's excitement in how they're playing that has to do with, with Giannis when he, you know, runs, you know, is just like goes at the basket and is this incredible force, but also has to do with, with other players on the court and how they are interacting with how he plays. And I just think that that's more exciting. Um, yeah, they have a good team. I, I like I, – I look forward to Brogdon getting back. He's yes. a really good player. Middleton's great. Yes. I mean, that's one thing you could say about the Warriors, like even though they've like stopped being kind of America's sweetheart, they still play a really beautiful brand of basketball. Mm-hmm. Like Steph Curry has to be one of the most unselfish superstars 
Like he pat he'll pass like five, he'll pass himself like four times in a possession. Yeah. Like he'll pass come off a screen, like cut through the lane, get the ball back, pump fake, pass it again, like weave in and out again. Like he's 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 like looking for other people's shot. Kevin Durant's kind of the same way. And it's like eventually it's like, okay, now this is a really good shot. I'll take it. And then knowing Steph Curry, it's usually kind of swish. But it's like a really beautiful kind of energy and flow to the game. And as a player, those are just the most fun games to play in, where the ball is kind of touching everybody's hands. The ball has this energy. Everyone's having a good time. Like, win or lose, like you go home, it's like, oh, that was fun. Whereas I've been on teams with players who are amazing, and we win the game, and like, no thanks to you because you weren't really involved. And it's like, that kind of sucks. I don't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I, I, I agree. And I really like your sort of putting words to this about the ball having energy. And I think that that is something that I do feel in the Warriors game and I feel in the Bucks and other teams. And I just, I don't, I don't feel it as much with the Rockets or I didn't usually, I mean, I, I always wanted the Cavs to lose, but I didn't feel it a lot sometimes when the Cavs were playing the Warriors in the finals and it was just like LeBron kind of elbowing his way to the basket and like sort of playing like a running back rather than um I I just I feel the energy of the ball the ball uh is that's just an exciting idea that we that I guess as viewers that that we can feel which is which is nice yeah, LeBron is a similar player. Like, LeBron is going to go down as probably the second or third best player of all time. This is me showing my Jordan bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, You're just showing everything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but he's another player who, unless it's on, like, a fast break, like, on a fast break, he's one of the most dynamic players ever. Like, somebody that big and fast. Like, he's got to be one of the fastest players for his size. But in a half court, it's so freaking boring. It's like he's figured out basketball. He knows the angles. He knows where he, all the shooters are where they need to be. And it's like, if I don't get a good shot, if I don't believe the ball in, I'll kick it out. He'd kick it out to, like, J.R. Smith or Kyle Korver, and it would be, like, a three or something like that. And... It's like we figured it out, but there's something missing. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I don't know. Like, eventually we'll, we'll transition to maybe talking about some art. But I think there's a way in which there are a lot of artists who have figured out art. And I hate that kind of art. I don't know. <laughs> it's like we're going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we're not going to do that. And this is kind of the equation, kind of art by equation. And the James Hardens and the LeBron James of the world have figured out, I mean, to their credit, I mean, they're basketball geniuses, but it's just not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I do. I think it's important to acknowledge, like you're saying, like to their credit, uh, geniuses, amazing work ethic, clearly like have built their bodies to be um, capable of so much, but it it does not it does not feel fun or exciting or it, it is still the 
the something has to be on the line sort of and when you when it's basketball like that it just doesn't feel as as exciting and I think that's the perfect segue into discussing art <laughs> so I'm I I didn't mean to talk so long about the NBA, but it's so fun. Um, oh, no, 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 no. I hope I, hope I wasn't super long-winded. Feel no. free to chop down some of those answers. But, Seriously. yeah, I, I could talk forever about basketball. Yeah, so so let's move into it. And, and if you could, because I think I understand when I see um, – when I see – art that's been figured out or there's a formula and it's just um sort of bang 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 you know two plus two equals four and and this is it so I I understand that that feeling and, I, and I'm just wondering if you could describe it a little bit more for our listeners <laughs> yeah it's it's something that it's like hard to put your finger on it's like um yeah, it's it's like you, you kind of know it when you see it. It's like, uh, I, I, I mean, that's a, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. No, I know, yeah, it just it um, can feel a little bit stagnant. It can feel um, yeah, there's forced. Something, there's something kind of eerie about it. Like you'll go to, like you'll go to shows in like Chelsea or Lower East Side and it's like these are competent people. Like they obviously know what they're doing. There was probably some point in time where there was a bit of spark in the art, but somehow it's just kind of missing. I don't know. And I, I, I see it a lot when I'll see an artist who is kind of known for one thing. It, it, it goes in kind of two ways. So there's like, the artists who, be, who got known for one thing and now they're just kind of turning out kind of reproductions of that or kind of risk on that one thing. And then it goes in the other way where as an artist who is known for something a little stranger, like maybe it's like filmmaking or like video art, but you could tell somebody whispered in their ear and it was like, you should probably make a couple prints or a couple sculptures to go with this show because we can't really sell this video and it all kind of comes out. I had a friend at a residency call it like the art industrial complex. Um, I'm sure he got that from somewhere else, but it just made sense. It's like it's all kind of shiny and well made and well produced, and it looks like art and it would look really dope in like a penthouse somewhere. It's just a little soulless. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's really hard to put your finger on it's like seeing a like a replicant or something like some android or something I don't know, that's like a late reference it's just like something is missing in this person um and it's hard to kind of put your finger on but you, you kind of know it when you see it um yeah that's just not my favorite type of art i i i just like something to be for me, a piece of art has to have had the potential to fail and the potential to suck. Like if it doesn't, if I don't see that the artist was kind of on a bit of a tightrope, but they figured it out, or they didn't risk something and kind of figured it out, I'm just not super interested. And I mean, some of my art probably falls in that category. I'm sure I have art that I've made that 
nothing was kind of risked and nothing was kind of on the line and topics was not my favorite pieces, but it's got to be something where it was like a really thin line between it working and not working and somehow it worked. With the other art that we were talking about, there was just never any point in the trajectory of its making and in its process where it was ever going to fail. Like it was always going to be what it was going to be. And it was going to be this kind of cool looking, probably beautiful, probably well-made, sexy object. But there was never any point where it was going to possibly fail. I don't know. If that might seem super esoteric and doesn't make any sense at all, but <laughs> No, but it's the same thing you were saying about Alan Iverson. It's like you're putting the Alan exactly. Iverson lens you're looking through the Alan Iverson lens onto art, which is is um is makes so much sense. I, I look through the Alan Iverson lens on all things in life, so, so. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that that is a good way to wake up and put on your Alan Iverson lens and take on the day. Um, yeah, it's like I don't want to. I don't want to be like Alan Iverson is an acquired, not an acquired taste, but he's not everyone's favorite. Like he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Like maybe he wasn't the best person to like coach or maybe wasn't the best teammate. Like think it even I'll consciously think myself, he probably falls a little bit into the category of the James Harden of someone who might have been a little less fun to play with. But I mean, I don't know. I think his teammates really loved him actually. I think he was kind of a player's player that people who played the game really loved and respected him. Um but it's like I don't want to make art that is everyone's cup of tea in a way like I don't I don't want my like I I'll read architectural digest every now and then well actually I read it a lot and they had an issue with like Kylie Jenner and, and um, Chris Jenner and in their houses they had like art on their walls obviously and they're multi-millionaires and they had a kind of blue chip art but they just had the same stuff that everyone has. Like they had like like a Warhol and like a, I think Chris Jenner had like a Yoshimoto Nara or something like that and like a, a Bastia here and probably like a Richard Prince here. And there's something, there's something where that art can fit in. And I, I like all those artists individually and I think they all have work that I really like. But there's something where their art has become synonymous with art, and it's not personal anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So because it's yeah, on I, a keychain, it becomes a little bit keychainy. Yeah, yeah. There's something I don't know. It's hard to put your finger on because I'm sure there was some point in history where, like, I love Warhol, and I'm sure that's kind of something that that artsy people shouldn't say. Um, but but I do. Yeah. I like the weirder Warhol. Like, I like the ones that aren't as easy to be... Yeah, he's not a great example because he is somebody who has become kind of synonymous with art. But I think I, I can like Warhol and still not need to see another solo exhibition of his work. <laughs> you know? Oh, I mean, so, like, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like that's where I'm... 
I come yeah. at him a little bit with is is I do, there are and I think what he did was really important and, and pushed the conversation about fine art into a different direction, which is so such an exciting thing. But I just like don't need to see it at the Whitney. Like I just you know exactly it's just, yeah. It's like we're good. We're right. good. Right. I'm, I'm we fine. Know, we know Warhol is important. Done. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think that's where it gets a little iffy for me with the the bigger the institutions, like the artists that have become institutions, where I I they're so important and and we and we need them and we need them in our our conversations, but they just I just don't need to spend money on them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure. It would be really interesting to not even need them in the conversation mm-hmm. in a way. It's like, I'm just interested in, for me personally, I'm just so much more interested in trying to, I don't do a great job of it, but trying to undo that really convenient artistic canon and artistic lineage and trying to find connections and ancestors and, connections with the work that aren't the perfect lineage of like Picasso to Duchamp to Pollock to War to Rauschenberg to Warhol to Basquiat to I don't know Jeff Koons or whatever you know this perfect lineage you know it's like it's so American it's so kind of white male dominated it's just like I like my life as a human being is already kind of guided by these things just by nature of being an American. Like, how do I, as an artist, I should be able to be a little bit more imaginative and to think differently. Yeah. It's like, I don't want, like, if we keep moving basketball back into it, like, I don't want every team to have figured it out and be like, we got to shoot X percentage of threes and, we have to defend the paint this way and we have to do this way and we need to surround like the kind of ball handler as shooters. It's like, I want each team to kind of find their own path and their own identity. Like I want like a team like the Bucks to kind of be able to survive with the, their best player being someone who is pretty like rooted to the paint and not a perimeter player. And I just want artists to be not, all clones of the same very limiting history. Yeah, and I, I don't do a great job of it because I I'm like so steeped in it and I love art history and like I'll be in my classes and like times that I'm teaching I'm like, oh like, that reminds me of, like, this Rauschenberg piece. And I'm like, all right, let me find somebody else other than Rauschenberg. Right, to, like, the influences. Like, share with my students so that they just have something else going on in their brain. Right, because there are, chances are, there are many artists that are, I mean, historically speaking, that are going your students are going to cross over with no matter what. And I oh, think that sure. it's, um, hopefully, I mean, I felt this as well when I was teaching that it's our job to 
to just pretend a little bit that, I mean, it's good to have those people uh, to know of them, but also to, it's not maybe our job to push them forward because they're already so, they're so far forward anyways that, that we can kind of step back from them. I do want, I want you to talk about your work. (laughs) Um, So um, do you want to tell or just discuss sort of how sports have become, I guess for me, basketball is my muse a little bit. I don't know what your relationship is to football, but just how you've begun to intertwine sports and into your work and how that's sort of evolved and a little bit about what your yeah the the form that it takes sure sure um so so you alluded to it a bit but my work is very rooted in football at the moment it has been for a while um which is not strange but you would expect it to be basketball since i'm such a big basketball fan and kind of grew up playing basketball. But for me, I think basketball is a little too close to home. Like, I'm a little too in it. And I, I almost think the the best place for an artist to be is a world where you kind of have, like, one foot in and one foot out. And it, it gives you a bit of skin in the game, but a bit more objectivity to be able to kind of see the strangeness and see the things that maybe people aren't looking at um, as closely as they, as you as the artist probably think they should be. Um, So for me, like if basketball is your muse, football has definitely been my muse for, for a while now. And it's visually, it's, it's just kind of visually and conceptually, it's just this gift that keeps giving for better and worse. Um, like I have a pretty unproblematic relationship with basketball and that's because basketball is like, we can talk about Kevin Durant, whether or not he should have stayed in Oklahoma city or whether or not he should have gone to uh, golden state or not. But at the end of the day, like Kevin Durant hasn't done anything wrong to anybody. Like he's like a perfectly nice guy. Like, right. Like, Boys and girls like, club. <laughs> like a pretty well-run organization like hence the title of the show adam silver seems like a pretty good uh commissioner we could talk about some of that right but i'm investing so much time in him (laughs) yeah yeah. like he seems like a good dude but football is this kind of like weird i don't know this weird sauce that's like equally tasty and like hard to stop eating and also you know it's like like terrible for you and it's kind of gross but I don't know it's like a yeah it's like it, it as an artist I like something that brings out the best and worst in others and brings out the best and worst in me like it's it's something where I can watch a football game and I'll hear the crack of the helmets and like the hitting of the pads and hear somebody get injured and I'll have an immediate and simultaneous love and like repulsion at that kind of instance and thing happening. And for me, that's like a really good 
place and a really good starting point uh, for art and for thinking of like who we are as people. And I'm, I, I always like those things where you can think through something that you as a person haven't figured out the answer on. Um, so my, to give a little background, um, I moved to New Orleans in 2012, and for some reason, I I kind of had football work in my brain. I was just seeing images of it, but when I moved to New Orleans, uh, my apartment was right next to a park, and every day, there was football practice on the park for the, the local rec organization, and it was ages kind of six to 14 probably six to 13 so it's like the little kids the medium kids and the big kids all out there and they were practiced every single night from probably 3 p.m to 7 p.m and when i was a kid we would have practice like once a week twice a week but in new orleans it was so much a part of life, so much a part of the community. Um, everything from a young age for kind of the kids in the neighborhood revolved around football. I would go to some of the rec games and there would be adults in the stands watching the games who didn't even have kids on the team, which was interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> so from there, I started kind of trying to introduce myself to some of the teams. I, I knew some of the kids on the teams just kind of from being in my neighborhood and kind of the church I was going to. And I started working with some of the high schools and just trying to kind of ingratiate myself with the coaches and the principals and the teams. And for the most part, they were just so com incredibly open to me and kind of welcomed me in. Um, and I don't know what they thought I was, like, but <laughs> I would be like, oh, I'm I'm an artist. And he's like, okay, cool. And from there, like, they would, were kind of pretty open with me, and I would go to games and take photos. And the work started as um, I, I was trained as a figurative painter, a figurative sculptor, like very kind of naturalistic, realistic paintings. I don't know if you think of like John Sayers Sargent or something like that, but a little more modern. Um, so I was doing very kind of straightforward portraiture of the players in their uniforms. And I was pretty interested in the kind of relationship of these kind of adolescent bodies with the more kind of hard-edged, mechanized uniforms and equipment and helmets and shoulder pads and how it turned the kind of young men into these, I don't know, robots and soldiers and gladiators in a way. So this kind of push and pull between the like hard and soft and the young and like more mature aspects of kind of them taking on all this responsibility as being these like players for their families and communities and 
from there, the work transitioned into me just being a lot more interested in all the surrounding kind of accoutrement of the game, whether it's the uniforms and the kind of flags and banners and how these teams would brand themselves and how fans of the games, whether it's the families or just alumni, would kind of create their own like T-shirts and flags and all sorts of kind of paraphernalia for the games. And I don't know, it just tells a story about community and people and I see so much beauty in it and so much good and how these players are able to, um, I don't know, accomplish so much and like really band together as a team. But then there's a lot of darkness in it as well. And the fact that like for so many of these kids, like their highest highs are going to be kind of on the football field and like the schools are so more willing to put money into football and put time into football and put like a person and a kid's worth into football as opposed to probably their academics and probably the future after football. Um, and for me, it kind of links to the larger ideas of how we view kind of the players in college football and the players in, in, in the NFL and I don't know. We're we're we love the players as long as they're performing, and when they're not, they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And I don't know. It, for me, that's a a place that's really fertile ground because I'm I'm not innocent in it as well. You know, I'm just as much of a fan and a participant and a user of these kind of young men and boys as anyone else. Yeah, I I really it's that you said you're a user. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> um yeah, I mean I think that's an important um recognition and that's really powerful language as far as um they're being they're being used, um, but yeah, I I really appreciate the contradiction the the point of cringing and maybe your heart beating a little bit faster <laughs> at the same time. Like when you said you heard the helmets crack against each other, and how that kind of um, that's that's where your artwork starts. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's like. Football is like, it's so beautiful and it's violent and it's it's like exciting and boring at the same time. It's got kind of the highest highs, but then also so many just mundane aspects of it as well. It's like so American in an interesting way. I mean, not even in an interesting way. It's like only played here. Um yeah, it's just a weird, weird sport. Uh, so in some ways, the work hopefully has a bit of the weirdness in it. It's got this interesting exaltation and kind of, I don't know, like denial of the body in a way. Like the players are wearing these helmets 
and these shoulder pads, which kind of distort the natural forms of kind of the head and the torso. But at the same time, they're wearing like spandex pants and socks that really kind of like highlight and mirror the form of the kind of lower body in a way. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird <laughs> It's like everything about it is like a contradiction. Um, and visually, that contradiction hopefully connects with my contradiction as a fan that is okay with how these players are subjecting themselves to like brain damage and just chronic pain and yeah the yeah I don't yeah all of those yeah. kind of weird things and just the kind of way we expect football players to be these completely like selfless team first people who don't have their own kind of beliefs and prerogatives and kind of just do whatever the owners and the coaches say. Yeah, it's something in the visuals of the game mirror the contradictions conceptually for me. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's really an interesting way to approach it and to start to sort of pull it apart. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, do you, would you, do you love football? That's a, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't think I love football. Like, I think I love basketball. I think I am inextricably connected to football okay. in a strange way. Like, it's the way, like, my relationship to football is the way I kind of feel our relationship to, like, Google or Instagram mm, or Facebook kind of work. It's like, it's like I can't go without football because it's this thing that kind of connects me with, I don't know, my masculinity, my family. Like, I, like if I didn't watch football, I, I wouldn't really, like, I don't think I could have a conversation with, like, half of my guy friends or, like, mm -hmm. half of my uncles or anything. Like, <laughs> We speak. We speak in football. Like it's like it's like a different. It's like a language. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's this thing where if I was the only person on earth, I could probably go without watching football. Just like I could probably go without being on Instagram or using Apple products or using Google or Amazon. But it's this thing that's kind of interwoven into my identity as like an American and as a man. Yeah, it would just I don't know. Like if I went like I, I feel like during the like initial parts of like the Kaepernick protest or not the protest, but the year after when mm -hmm. it was kinda of clear that he was being kind of 
blacklisted from the NFL. There were all these like things like, oh, boycott the NFL, boycott the NFL. And, you know, I tried my damnedest to boycott the NFL. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not watching this, but it's just like, uh, it's just on. It's like the weather. It's like it's there. And to be that person who, I don't know, I have a weird disdain for the person who's like, it's like, oh, who's that person? It's like, are they, are they, a, are they a sports player? I've heard that. It's like, what are you talking about? That's like Odell Beckham. He's like, he's famous. Why don't you know this person is? It's like, it's like this, I don't know, it's just weird. Uh, they're like certain people where that's like a, that's like a feather in their cap that they abstain from sports. And for me, it's very much something that connects me to other people in my world and my neighborhood and my city, especially in New Orleans. It's like, it kind of feels not traitorous, but it feels kind of like you're not a good neighbor if you're not watching the Saints in a way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yes. So I, I wonder too about, how because I mean I've been I've been through periods of my life where I've watched not as much basketball as I watch now but I believe that my life is richer because I watch more basketball (laughs) like I I think that my life it, it adds so much to my life and I mean I think just having I believe that for me like having um a knowledge base around sports and what is happening in sports is is something that makes me feel excited and good and connected I guess to the the city where I'm living in or or just different like I love when I meet someone new and I get to say and they they tell me where they they're from and I get to be like oh how are the blah 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 you know how's this team doing because I know the name of the team you know so it's just oh, um, for sure. just as a way to sort of connect to someone um so yeah I think that 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 has a power to it that is often written off as sports are just it's just or especially with football it's like just dudes running into each other um no there's yeah yeah, but there there's like there is so it is so much more than that yeah no it's like my like my fam not my whole family but like my uncle kenny who's a super important person in my life love him to death like he probably got me into basketball and football and all these things. But he's like a very like what's the word? Laconic the word? Like if you don't like speak a lot, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like a very kind of austere, very few words kind of person. And if I'm at his house, like I'm not gonna ask him like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" Like, I'm just going right. to start talking about the Cowboys because he's a Cowboys fan. And we're going to get into, like, some argument about the Cowboys. <laughs> but the subtext of all of this is, like, us connecting as, like, uncle and nephew. And it's all under the 
guise of football. It's yeah. it's it's just its own language. And the NFL is super smart and they know it and they know how embedded it is into people's lives and how these sports teams become less these kind of independently owned franchises and they become these kind of things that people feel so much personal stake in and they know that they can kind of do whatever they want with it. You know, they can market it the way they want to. They can have what kind of sponsors they want and they can treat the players the way they want because they know at the end of the day, we're not ready to, I don't know. We, they, they know we need it and they know we want it. And that's, interesting to me as a person like to realize how kind of susceptible and weak I can be I don't know Uh, yeah well I think the awareness is great (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean I think yeah I mean it's it's hard like to I mean I want to think critically about all these things but I also want to I, I want to just indulge in the the fun aspect of just caring about basketball or, or football. I just I want to watch it for the sake of watching it much of the time. Yeah, it's like a burden to be completely yeah, it's it's um yeah, I'm I'm trying to embrace my hypocrisy both in my art and just in life yeah Uh, (laughs) and i I think that's something that's hard to do especially in our kind of current political moment and i mean try not to be that person as it relates to politics but it's like i'm not i'm not a perfect person like i'm not completely conscious i'm not completely woke i'm not like I'm not this person who has all my kind of eyes dotted and T's crossed and I'm not on the right side of everything politically as much as I kind of try to project that in my kind of day to day and amongst friends and especially amongst my like kind of artist friends because we're all pretty liberal and kind of try to pride ourselves on like saying things the right way. Right. And I think football brings that out of me the most. Um, it kind of is constantly reminding me that I'm a hypocrite in a really interesting way. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's, uh, it continues to kind of be a really energetic thing in the studio. Um, it's like things that I'm both repulsed by and attracted to like things that I like, dislike. Hopefully it's like, it. hopefully it manifests itself in the visuals of like using kind of colors that I like and dislike and going about like different modes of making that are both kind of enjoyable and arduous. I don't, I'm trying to kind of think about the, um, yeah, I had a I had a really good studio visit with an artist at another residen- residency I was at. Um, the the artist uh, Mario Ibarra, mm-hmm. who's an LA-based artist, 
and he was saying that I should write. He's like, all right, if you're making this work about football, like you should just have a bunch of terms just laying around your studio, write them down on note cards, like any term that kind of comes to mind as, as it relates to football. So it's like, like home game, tackle, win, loss, injury. Yeah. Like what do these things mean as it relates to like making art? Like what is what does a win look like in the studio? What does a loss look like in the studio? What is what is an injury in the studio? Like so kind of thinking about these things, trying to have some of it manifest itself visually. Um so yeah, I don't really know I haven't figured out anything, but it continues to be kind of a like a generative space in the studio. Yeah, I love the idea of taking the language and um, sort of rethinking it. Or I, I've been trying to figure out what a pass would be in regular life, <laughs> like what what it would be to like sort of find someone else and have that oh. connection. <laughs> like how how yeah. could I do that just in when I wake up in the morning? What's a pass in that? Yeah, in that what's, a, what's an assist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's an assist? I mean, what, so, I what's, mean. What's a rebound start? Yeah. <laughs> right, and, like, sort of just, I, I think that passes are, are ways that the players, I mean, it's literally like you're finding someone else with the ball, and so I think that's really beautiful, and I want to do that every day in my own life all day. So how do I find other people? How do I have that connection? How do I, how do I think that way? So I, I think that's good. And that that is also just breaking down the game when when that artist was telling you that it's like breaking down the game to where you can start to sort of insert your your life into it. Um, exactly. Which is so I mean that's kind of what you're doing, kind of what you're doing with a podcast. I mean that's kind of a an assist. It's kind of a pass. It's you kind of opening. Yeah. Hey. Like the dialogue <laughs> with somebody else. <laughs> it is that no I mean it is it is meant to it is me like it is a pass and yeah. um and there's also um there's some passes that are better than others you know like I can <laughs> you can that happens um but it's 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 worth the it's worth the attempt um yeah I just I think that the contradiction is powerful I'm saying powerful too much. I'm having trouble thinking of another word, but to recognize it, to be able. So I think there's more strength in the critique of football from someone who wants to watch football and maybe cares about it and maybe wants to see. I mean, I don't know if what could happen to football to make it um, less skeezy I guess um or whatever but that I think there that that is you're you have a better position to push forward a different version of football or ask questions about football than someone who's just like ah sports what's the point and who are these guys just grunting and jumping at each other like there is there is uh this um you're at a you're at a point where where it, people are will will more likely listen and and take in because you care about football. Yeah, or yeah, I I just think I don't think I think artists can't 
preach. It's just like I don't I don't need an artist to tell me what to believe in or like like I I would hope that all of my work is political in some way, but any given piece I don't even know what the politics are going to be because the work kind of has a bit of a life of its own. It's like I I want the artist to kind of show me where they are and all of their kind of messiness and hopefully through that some bit of kind of truth or some bit of wisdom starts to kind of break through. It's like it's part of the reason why I just don't think there's any there's not going to be a lot of good Trump art right now because he's he's a completely, like, it's hard to have any nuance about him because he's just completely repulsive and terrible. Like, I would be interested, like, I'm not interested in, like, the liberals' art about Trump. Like, I would be more interested in somebody who's kind of, like, a reluctant Trump supporter. All those, kind of all those reluctant Trump supporter bit. artists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like something, Show us your work. Some, something from someone who has a bit of kind of skin in the game, somebody who is implicated, somebody who's not blameless is going to make the more interesting art about that. And I, I just think maybe there's just never going to be any good art about that this current political situation because it's just it's it's in my brain it's pretty cut and dry it's pretty black and white yeah um but for things that aren't black and white um i cannot preach about it like i don't have a yes or no of what people should do about football whether or not they should watch it or not whether or not it's good or bad like is it good that like so many like young black poor kids in New Orleans think football is their kind of way out, or is it like would it be better if they just had nothing that they thought was a way out? Like like what is the? It's just not a easy answer to things. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think that all of my I mean I don't this is kind of another layer of what you were saying about work being made right now in response to Donald Trump directly is that I think so much of my work is made about Donald Trump even if it's not about him I mean I think what's happening I mean well what's just like happening politically right now is so or just you know the the times we're living in it's so like hanging over my life as it is hanging over everyone's life that like it's hard it's not it's not my work is not about Donald Trump but like he's a part of it in some way I feel like just because oh undoubtedly yeah I mean he's he's just like embedded into to to everything but I think that I also agree that I think that the desire to preach or the decision to preach is something that I did very early on in my practice where I wanted to 
I felt that it was my my job to show what was right or what was wrong. And sure. I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. I mean, it just, it feels like such, it does, it feels a little bit immature to me in a sense that without understanding maybe that there's every, almost every issue, there's like several, a lot of things have layers to them. Um, and that the, it's not easy to encapsulate everything. And thinking about art as maybe not um, an answer, but a question asker. I think I was treating it as as to provide an answer rather than to provoke a question or to ask a question. A thousand um, percent. Yeah. yeah, I feel like um, I, I was in a very similar boat. Like when I was younger or like early art, you could ask me a question. It's like, what's this piece about? And I'd be like, oh, this piece is about prison reform or this piece is about like, it was like, images of black people in the media mm-hmm. it's like very direct answers of like what this piece is about and i'm much more interested now in the questions or making pieces that start from a very personal place like i'm not trying to make art that has no kind of answers or no specific questions but the questions are just way more open. The subjects are just way more open. People, even if they're not thinking about football, hopefully can kind of start to think about other things as they're looking at the work. Um, yeah, I just, the older I get, the I just realize I have less and less of the answers. I don't know. Totally. I, I think that that is... I think that's that is better than thinking that you do. Um, yeah, it's interesting Yeah, and it opens up more more possibilities. And it, I think that it goes back to to feel to having things figured out. And to when we look at artwork and when we make it, it's not fun to have it figured out and to have um, like when we were talking about James Harden. Um, to just be like, oh, this is how you do it, and this is how we're going to do it, and we're just going to do it every time like this. It's just, yep. and then this is what's bad, and this is what's good. And, you know, I, my my stepping stone with this was, was gun violence. And, you know, it's like, yeah, gun violence is awful. It's an awful thing. I am not necessarily adding to the conversation by doing a visual iteration of it being an awful thing. I'm not adding anything. What are other questions? What I just think that that... A lot, that's much more freeing than thinking than bearing the burden of providing an answer the rather than to ask the question um, which will inevitably lead to more questions and maybe some answers but it's just so much more engaging to a viewer to not just show but to, to ask yeah definitely I, that's what I'm hoping to do kind of more and more um, yeah, and I don't even know the right questions to ask. Yeah, but the visuals and the work kind of do their own asking. <laughs> yeah, of course, and 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 I don't think you actually need to because they'll just be they'll just be present. Um, I and I mean I think that like I mean everything is just like football question mark like that's the question like the question <laughs> is of football. There we go. That's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> like I like I feel. Like, 
my for my own work it's like Adam Silver like Adam Silver what does that mean what does he mean what do question I mark, mean yeah. by this question mark like like how what place do I have in Adam Silver's life like you know it's just that starting with that very broad that's fascinating. Thing. Yeah, I just think that that is so much. It's so much. It's been so helpful to me. Um, That's so funny because, like, I would venture to guess that I don't know. I don't know how to quantify the art world, but like, probably ninety-five percent of the art world has no idea who Adam Silver is. <laughs> oh, I would say ninety-nine point yeah. like seven. I mean, I just I don't think anyone. I'm just thinking, Thinking of like the people in New York who probably know who I don't know that they, they might know who Adam Silver is just from like going to cocktail parties and right. stuff. <laughs> totally, maybe the MoMA, the MoMA openings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but I kind of I like. So what excites me is that like <laughs> I am inserting Adam Silver into a conversation, and not that. I have this huge following or whatever, but whenever anybody asks me what my podcast is, like they also learn <laughs> and what it's about, like they also going to learn about Adam Silver. And because of that, now I am, we are linked. We are tied together. Like I definitely need him. I'm trying to get to a point where he needs me. <laughs> and oh my God, I love that. <laughs> or it's not even, I mean, in all honesty, it's not, I mean, your project isn't about Adam Silver. It's about you. Like, there's a world in which, I mean, obviously I'm I'm rooting for the fact that Adam Silver will become, like, a huge fan and <laughs> he'll become, like, a regular a regular guest. So it'll be like, Thank you. once a year you'll check in with Adam Silver. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a world in which, like, he never hears about this. And the project still goes on and it still is like viable because it's about your thoughts and your connections and your, like, I'm like, I'm not a football player. Like no football player cares about what I'm doing, but the work is still kind of important. I don't know. Yeah, and and I think... But I'm still rooting yeah. for Adam Silver to figure out the podcast. No, of course. <laughs> I mean, long-term, like, of course, that's the goal. But I think that it is about this process of... And I think that that is the question. Also, a question is, like, what role do I have as an artist in football or basketball or whatever it is? Like, what is my role here? And I think that, like, yeah. that is the, the question that I'm trying to answer through the podcast, trying to answer through whatever other visual work I'm making or writing. It's like I'm just trying to figure out how I can be an artist in the world of basketball. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's – I feel like – and don't quote me on this, even though there, there'll be a recording. Um, <laughs> I feel like that is more exciting to me than wonder – and then – to than being an artist in the art world. Um, Interesting. Potentially. I'm not quite... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do believe that because just of some of the stagnancy of the art world that I like the idea of of being... And, and the just... 
I yeah, I just kind of like the idea of inserting myself into a place that I don't inherently belong with my skill set. No, I actually a part. That's a really good thing that you bring up. It's like a I I kind of see myself as an artist as something similar. Like maybe not in the basketball world, and maybe not even in the football world. But I almost think that the best artists see themselves as the artist of a particular world that needs an artist. Like it's almost like if there's some town, like they have kind of the butcher and they have the tailor and they have the school teachers and they have artists. Like if there's like basketball town, like you, Abigail, would be the artist of basketball town. And that's just going to make way more interesting work than just being in your brain artist number like 500,000 in the art world. Right. Um, Yeah, for me, my work visually and like kind of materially is very inspired by just people who make objects that don't consider themselves to be artists. So it's like whoever, like I'll go to football games and I'll see some like mom or grandma or uncle or somebody who's made this like custom painted bedazzled shirt with like a deep pressed image of their like son or nephew or grandson on the field on there. And they've kind of given their all to making this art object. And some of the some of the some of the things that they've made are just like eat your heart out. They're like, I wish I could make something that great. Because <laughs> there's something there's something honest and love filled and heart filled about that object. Like you ask them, and they wouldn't consider themselves to be artists. They wouldn't even consider what they made to be art. Capital A. But there's something real about it. There's something that's the opposite of what we were kind of talking about earlier about the kind of soulless art that looks good, but for some reason you just can't put your finger on why why it's kind of lifeless. Yeah. And this is kind of the opposite. It's like the things that they're making are just better than what people make in the name of art. Like, I just think we have to be making something in the name of something else in order for it to move me at all. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think that that's everything. I mean, that is, that is, yeah, that is, that is it. So now we have to end the podcast <laughs> because okay. none of neither of us are going to say anything as profound as that. I think. I mean, maybe you are. I mean, I'm not. Um. No, no, none of it. Uh, thank, thank you. That's that's very flattering. Appreciate that was yeah. That's, that's just uh, a mean, really great thought. You, you got us. You got us on that tangent by uh, talking about being the, the artist uh, for basketball instead of uh, the art world. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think that it's like in the name of something, in the name of something that is so, um, that's crucial. And 
it's going in my next residency proposal. So sorry. Yeah. So I think that you have to come back on the podcast to discuss before the finals start. So maybe between oh, I'm down. Okay, I'm between down. conference finals and the regular finals, we'll have to go over what just happened and what's about to happen. Oh yeah, there we go. I'm I'm very excited for the playoffs. I'm gonna be in front of uh well, I don't actually have cable, so I usually just go to this bar that's across the street from my house. Yeah. Um, and watch basketball. <laughs> but I'll be over there a lot for sure. Yes. Sounds great. Awesome, awesome. Cool. So glad we got to do this and can't wait to have you on again. Yeah, this was really fun. I appreciate just the invite and for you creating this kind of forum for kind of art and sports nerds and that weird overlap to kind of come together and, and kind of chop it up and talk a bit. Yeah, it's really it was really nice to do that and to sort of compare our own um, practices and find the, the different perspectives is, is really helpful to me um, to, to do that and just to put sort of things to words is nice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I hope the rest of your move goes smoothly and uh, we'll talk soon. Yep, definitely. Yep. Abigail, thanks again. It was really fun. Take care, Abby. Bye. Yep. Have a good one.